It was a fuck ton of views. I was like, whoa, she's very famous. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Rice Cookers podcast or show. Today, we are here with obviously your host, Peng Vu, and this is my co host, Lizzie Lore. Or to follow me on the YouTube's VB Entertainment. It should be down in the description somewhere. Yep. Uh, social media on Instagram, the real kazoo kid. And on the Snapchats, you can add me on kazoo pang boo. All right. So, you know the movie that came out, right? Yes. What, what was the movie that came out? Um, Ten Rings. Shang-Chi, Ten Rings, right? Obviously, no spoilers. I'm just going to say it's pretty good. 98% on Rotten Tomatoes as the audience, which is pretty crazy. And I've been listening to the album. Listen to the album. Um, it's by 88 Rising. And woo! Woo! It's a good album, right? And as you can see, we're recording on Zoom because we have a special guest today. My very own sister, Kavu. Yay! <laughs> Oh yeah, you can, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, I mean, the viewers probably don't know you, so just explain a little bit about yourself and then we'll interview you and ask you ask you questions, right? Okay, sounds good. Hi everyone, my name is Ka, I use she, her pronouns, um, and I am Peng's older sister and the only sister in the family, so I'm pretty fucking cool. Uh, I can swear on this shit today. Yeah. yeah, it's not PG-13. I've heard, I watched it already, and I know y'all Um, And I am a sexual assault victim advocate. Uh, that's what I do for my job um, at Family Support Center in Chippewa Falls, and that's what I do. Yeah. I mean, like, what do you, like, do you help people with, like, sexual assault? Like, Yeah, I can kind of explain my job. Um, yeah. So my role is to support victims of sexual assault. Um, and then what I do in that job is I basically um, go to court proceedings if individuals or survivors um, end up reporting to law enforcement or um, if they just want individual counseling. So I basically just sit with people and do activities with them if they'd like. I work with adults, but I also work with children um, and adolescents. And so um, this coming school year, I'm in a lot of groups um, at the Chippewa, like Chai High, or any of the middle schools um, and stuff like that to just work with individuals who are impacted by any type of trauma. I also, I'm also dual-headed. I work with domestic violence too, but that's not like my specialty or anything like that. I just help around when I can. And so that's, um, I serve Chippewa County. And so Eau Claire is completely different. Um, we have a separate advocate for that, but I work mostly in Chippewa to do that. Yeah. I mean, are there like, not to get too specific, but like, is there like, a lot of cases that you're on right now and if you actually like went to the court and like i've gone to court a lot so i don't like talk during court or anything mm -hmm. i'm an advocate so i basically just sit with people to make sure to debrief beforehand and afterwards just about i talk people through the court process and what it's going to look like where people are going to sit how to address the um the judge, just all of that. Or sometimes if people don't want to go, I go for them and I just take notes um, and stuff like that. And I 
I will say like, I just started like a couple months ago. And so I do have a few people I'm working with, but um, a lot of everyone that I work with, it's like a huge staff. Um, everyone has a client or a participant with them. And so um, we do serve a lot of people, I will say. And so uh, we also have a 24 hour crisis line um, that people can call when they're in crisis, whether it be domestic violence, child abuse, sexual abuse, um, or if you're thinking about harming yourself, like we can definitely help you with that. And so, yeah, that's what I do. Okay. I mean, do you work mostly with adults or is there children you work with too? Cause I know you said you work with both, but like, which yeah, um, I haven't worked with any children yet. I work mostly with just adults right now. And so, um, but yeah, I never thought that I would be in this job. If you asked me like five years ago, um, do you want me to go in my background a little bit then? Yeah. I mean, like, well, first off, like, where did you start? Like, did you, like, what degree did you want first? And yeah. Yeah. Just like in life. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like um, as a kid or like as a teenager, what did you want? Like going into college and then just keep going on from there. Yeah. I think when I entered college, so I, I was born and raised in Eau Claire, just like you. Um, and so I went to South, well, let's see. I went to South Middle School, I went to Memorial, and then I went to UW-Eau Claire for my undergraduate degree. And so when I entered my undergrad degree, I was like, I don't know what I wanna do. I ultimately ended up choosing communications, but there was a week- Wait, so did you go in undeclared then first? Yeah, I went in undeclared. Okay. So I was undeclared for two years. So my second year, the very last semester, I was just like, I got to choose something. And so I went to like, I was in a creative writing class that I really liked because I loved writing, but I was like, mom and dad would kill me if I came out of this freaking four-year university and I had a creative writing degree. Um, and so I was like, maybe not. And then I thought about like women's studies, but the women's studies program there wasn't really developed yet because I, I mean, I was a hardcore feminist. Everyone knew that this I was loud as hell um, in high school as well as like my undergrad. And so I was like, maybe like there wasn't a Hmong studies program. I definitely think I would have done that if that was the case. Um, I didn't want to do sociology. I don't know why. I took a class and I was like, this class sucks. Never mind. I don't like it. And so I ended up doing organizational communication, which is like communication, but not so much like, here's how to talk to people. It was mostly like, here's how organizations and businesses um, suck at communicating. And here's how you can enter. Ultimately, it's preparing you to be like a consultant, basically, and to be like, to enter into organizations and be like, you guys suck at this. Let me help you fix it. And so I, that's what my degree was in, but it was mostly because, um, I could get my degree and still like do fun classes. And so I did a lot of fun classes like LGBTQ um, feminist theory or like feminist theory when it came to like woman of color because a lot of feminist theory is um, like really white and cis and hetero. But um, I took one class my senior year actually that was like completely, all of the readings that we had were um, about like black and brown women of color and feminism. And so. Yeah, I, that's what I entered my college degree wanting to do. And then I was like, yeah, I will just, I need to choose something because someone's going to kill me. And then afterwards, I'll figure out what I want to do. That's ultimately what happened. Okay. Do you have any questions? For mm, no, not at the moment. Not, a, not about a college degree. Well, I mean, like, did you have any, like, big stories in college? Like, like. <laughs> 
is there like any huge stories like you know or like just anything <laughs> yeah i have a lot of them um i'm not sure if some of them are even legal but uh legal I'll... okay <laughs> no i'm just kidding um yeah i let's see so my first year there i was really active in the Hmong student association um and so my first year, I was just like, yeah, this is cool. And then my second year, my second year, yeah, I was the chair of HLT, which was the monthly. Wait, so the first year you didn't do anything then? You was just like. Uh, yeah, I was just a member of the team and I like went to Culture Corps and helped plan and like show up to stuff, but I didn't really like do anything. Mm -hmm. um, my second year, I someone had dropped out of being the Hmong language table chair, which is a organ, not an organization. It's like a part of HSA, but it's more for like the critical conversations about like community, white supremacy, or like racism on campus. Um, and so that's something that I was really interested in and I was really active in. And then my second year, they asked me to be the chair. And so I ended up being the chair. And then we just had really good conversations about like really good heart to hearts basically for like two to three hours straight every single week um and just talked about like what's it like being a Hmong woman it fucking sucks um or like what does family life look like when you go home and you have this education and you don't have the language to explain to them what you've learned or what is organizational communication and how do you explain that to mom and dad like i never attempted and i'm not even gonna try um and so like that was really awesome. And it was a really good learning experience and a good leadership experience. Um, and then, yeah, that was really fun. That's also like, I was really internalized when I entered college. And so like in high school, I was just like, I'll just hang out with the white kids because they're, I don't want to say they're cooler. Okay. That was a dumb mindset, but it was because I didn't want to associate myself with like more people. And then I was just like, that's probably the worst thing that you can do. This is how internalized oppression works. And so um, when I entered college, I was just like, dude, I need to hang out with Hmong people because they're pretty fucking cool. Like I'm pretty cool. Um, and so that was really fun just getting to be surrounded by Hmong people. And so that really like forced me to like take language classes or to really, really start to um, like engage in my community a lot more and not focus so much on like huge, huge picture things, but focusing more on just my community and how I can help um, like make it better, basically. Uh, I forgot what I was talking about. Oh yeah, what I did in college. Yeah, just some wild shit, but that I just gotta say that. Um, like my third year of undergrad was probably the worst year. Like I turned 21 and so that was a little wild, um, but also, there was just a lot going on. It was 2016, so it was the election of. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And so it was really, really rough. Um, but also, there was a lot of racism on campus too. And I was an activist, um, and so what I did there was like I just fuck shit up around campus. I like put on protests. I like was loud. I was annoying. I showed up into people's offices. I was like, when you look at your stereotypical like super feminist, like super loud person. That was me and I was really annoying. And I went through a phase, but I also think that that's a true part of me. Um, like being angry is a form of your body telling you that some injustice is happening. And so yeah. I, that's what I was really feeling. And so we did a lot of like protests. Um, some of them, we just didn't care about the rules about. And so that was bad, but 
Um, and then I also was a peer educator on campus. Um, and so I did a lot of peer education for people in classes and it was okay, I guess, just like educating people about diversity and how it's good and whatever. But um, I ended up quitting um, my senior year because of, what do I put on my resume? I say like different directional needs or something like that, mm. uh, whatever to make it sound nice, but it's, um, it was mainly because it was an organization that I didn't believe my values really aligned with um, anymore because I was becoming more anti-racist and I didn't want to associate myself with individuals who believed that like you can simply educate people and then they'll be fine. Like once people know, they'll stop being racist and that's not the case. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so I quit and then I joined the OMA team. I worked for the Office of Multicultural Affairs. I mean, I was in and out of that space all the time anyways, um, but that was like fun. Um, I worked at their, as their social justice intern. So I like basically sat at the front desk to do scheduling, but I also on the side did um, training or education things on social justice. Oh yeah. And you want stories? Okay. So Whoa, 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 wait, wait. First Go off, ahead. let me ask a question about, um, yeah. so 2016, um, well, as everyone knows, it was, um, I don't know, it might get kind of political, but I don't really care. Don't care. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so it was Trump, uh, Trump and uh, Clinton, right? So I remember going online and I saw, I saw your post, right? Oh my God. <laughs> your post, it, it, get, it has like, 200k views right it was a, oh my know, god it was a fuck ton of views i was like whoa she's pretty famous anyway <laughs> it was like it was something about um i mean you can yeah, explain i can explain it, it. yeah you can yeah i can it. explain it okay so what happened was um the university actually like held on to this information because they knew there would be a lot of controversy around it but basically there was a people were questioning whether or not Trump would be coming to campus. And mm -hmm. technically, since the university is a public university, they are, quote, by law, um, obligated to, like, if someone rent, wants to rent out a space on campus, they can for a fee. And that's ultimately what Trump did. But what the university could have done as someone who works, used to work in higher education, is be like, oh, no, we have a basketball game that day, or simply said no. Like, for not political for not political reasons, they could have just said, no, we are not renting out this space, but they did. And so I there was um, a counter protest. And so individuals, as they were going into the rally to listen to an orange speak, um, like I was part of a group of individuals who were on the other side because they wanted to separate us. Smart. Um, they wanted to separate us and we were just like chanting we were like hey blah 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 trump sucks um and you're a racist piece of shit if you're going to see him period yeah and then so at the end of the night it got really dark and we were just like okay cool and so all the white people okay so when white people protest it's completely different than when people of color protest when people of color protest it's a fucking revolution like 500 percent stopping the streets stopping traffic white people when they protest like Nothing against y'all, but I don't want to hold hands and sing songs. Like, I'm not about that shit. Um, I'm here to disrupt, and I am not here to be nice. And so we were just like, this protest is really not for us. So we ended up leaving. We, as in, like, my group of friends, which were mostly, like, Hmong people and then a few other um, individuals of different ethnicities and races. We were like, yeah, we're going to leave. But in order to leave, you needed to go, like, past all of the fucking Trump supporters, all of them 
to like Putnam Hall. Putnam Hall is like right where the bottom of the hill is. Mm-hmm. So we go all the way around because the police wouldn't let us go the other way. Because I also lived in KT. So I was just like, dude, I can't even get into my building. And so we were like, okay, I guess we have to walk all the way around. Um, and we were walking all the way around and we couldn't get there. And so I was like, dude, what, the, what do we do? Um, and so we went around and I was just like, oh shit, my car is parked like on the other side of the building or like somewhere far away. And I was like, I really need to get to my car, but I don't feel safe. And if you know anything, it's not the fact that I can't walk by myself at night. It's that I'm one. Wait, it was at night? Yeah, it was at night. Woo! I'm a woman. I have been sexually harassed on campus before just by drunk ass motherfuckers walking around. Mm-hmm. I am a person of color. It's dark. It's a bunch of Trump supporters. I mean, dude, I don't feel tr- safe with you if you support Trump in any way, shape or form. Like you are trash ass human being. Sorry to your viewers. Fuck them. If they no, I don't care. Um, and then so I was just like, dude, so when I came onto campus, my very first year, actually for my, um, when I entered or when I did my mm, tour of campus, um, they were like these blue lights, like hook up to an emergency system where if you don't feel safe at night, you can call them and they will come and give you a ride. And I was like, okay, cool. I'd never used it before. I was a freaking junior. Okay. In freaking college. And I was like, cool. Maybe this is a time to use it. And so I pressed the button and I was like, Hey, and it was a police officer. They're like 911 or like Eau Claire PD or whatever it was. Um, and they were like, I was, I was like, Hey, I have a group of friends and I, I, my, we just come, came back from the rally. I don't feel safe or whatever. You can watch the fucking video. I don't know where it is now, but someone posted <laughs> yeah. online about my consent. Just want to let you know you a bitch and you mom a bitch. Um, and so I pressed the button and I asked for help and they were like, no, we don't have, we're all like busy with the rally. And I was like, yeah, that's the point. Can y'all just like drive around, pick me up, take me to my car or not? Like, do you do my tax dollars not pay for you, your wages or whatever? And so I was just like upset. Um, And so what I ended up doing was making that call. And then, I mean, I'm sure they were busy and doing other stuff, but they ended up not like helping us. And so we were a bunch of students of color just being like, okay, I guess we'll just run to my car or whatever. Um, and so at the very end of that video, there's a portion of me laughing. And, you know, I think people need to understand that, like, when people laugh, it's out of, like, disbelief and, like, just, like, disbelief that this would happen. Mm. And so there's that. Like, that was a wild-ass video because I got talked to by a bunch of people after that. They were like, oh, some, some one of our uncles from, like, far fucking away, like, last name bang, don't even care, was just like, hi, cop. I'm your uncle, and I just want to tell you, I'm in the military too. And under UCMJ, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, dude, I fucking read the UCMJ. It says do not engage in white supremacist ideologies. And you know what you're doing to support Trump? That. But, um, and so I got like a bunch of death threats, messages. I still have them saved in my Facebook Messenger. So, um, you got death threats and like all this shit too. Yeah, they're like, you deserve to be raped or you deserve to be Jesus fuck. I was made into a meme. Um, they were really inappropriate and really, really wait, wait. What was the meme like throughout campus? Like they just sent it to everyone or no, it wasn't around campus. It was basically just on the the video. I mean, I'm sure I could just dig them up, dig it up and see. I turned off the comments after a certain amount of time, but Uh. video and then I got like a bunch of 
people talking to me, like the military talked to me. So yeah, fun fact, I'm in the military. We'll talk about that in a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. Um, I'm my my supervisor talked to me on campus because um, I was in ROTC and he's just like, I don't care what you do on your free time, but you just don't do it um, in a military capacity. And never, not even once in that video did I mention being in the military, but they, he was just like, you need to be careful of what you post. And I was like, okay, cool. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, so there's that. Yeah, that was that video. That video was wild. Jesus. Oh my God, sometime last year, someone tagged me in it because it showed up on some Fox News kind of thing. And I was just like, dude, please, I was like, delete. I don't want to look at this shit ever again. I never want to hear it again either. So, gross. It's okay. I'll research about it if I'm interested. But yeah, I mean, like, I mean, that must be tough because, like, you got a lot of fucking death threats and shit. Like, how'd you deal with it? Like, um, I had a really good support system. And also I drank, which is really unhealthy. Don't recommend it. Um, but I, I had a really good support system. And so the people actually who were with me that night, we ended up going back to my place. Also, I forgot, I did not live in KT that, at that time. I was parked somewhere else and I lived off campus. Thank God. Um, junior year. And so they all came back to my place and they basically, when I posted the video, we got a bunch of views and they just started going on my account on um, all of their devices and started deleting like the uh, comments and then deleting stuff from my inbox too. So I don't even think all of my inbox stuff is like all the stuff that they got. Like they, they deleted a, a big portion of them. So they basically spent the entire night doing that. Um, and I think the really hard part is at the very end of the night, um, one of the p- people I really looked up to, um, he like, he like hugged me and he was just like, Hey, sorry, this is happening. He's just like, um, thanks for always taking the punches or something like that. And I was just like one, like he was a, among cis head man. Okay. And so I was just like, you know what, among women, especially women of color should not have to take punches like this mm. because of who we are. Like imagine if it was someone else of a different race or a different ethnicity who posted this video they would just be like lol the end like scroll or they would be like look at this snowflake or whatever and then just scroll but instead i got like death threats i got rape threats i got like all of these like different types of um really traumatic like messages from people Mm. people who don't even fucking know me um like they're thinking that they're my like cousin or something like that i don't freaking know and so it's just it just felt really like shitty that that had to happen, but also whatever. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't know how it feels because obviously I'm a fucking Hmong man and I wouldn't know how that feels. But I mean, like, obviously now it's, I guess, kind of changed, but not really, not at all. No. But I mean, obviously that's up for debate. I don't think it's changed at all. Um, <laughs> we still could probably got like maybe five, more 500 more years to go. So We'll see, yeah. but I mean, I mean, you can take, if there's any more stories about that, you can keep talking about it, but I mean, you know, we can move on too. So no, I don't think there were any more like I, yeah, that was like a really dark time of my life. I mean, it was breaking Trump as president and that was like probably the hardest thing to like look up from, um, mm-hmm. but we survived and we're here. And so that's all that matters. Yeah. You got your degree and now you're working. That's how it is. Yeah. So. And then your fourth year. You were talking about your fourth year earlier, right? Yeah. Okay. You can go with that. 
Yeah. Like, my fourth year was a piece of cake. Honestly, I just, I took all of my really hard classes. Like my first three years, like one year I had like 19 credits and I was just like, this is the worst year ever, but I survived. Um, and so my senior year, I like took like 12 credits every semester. And it was like the easy classes, like 200 level courses. I was like, yep, I'm just sliding by so I can look for jobs or grad school. And I actually didn't even think, so like I, I did my classes. I didn't even think about grad school until like the summer before I graduated. So I graduated in December of 2017 mm-hmm. and I put in my application for grad school like December 1st of 2017. And so I was just like, oh, cool. And the so for grad school, I I worked in the summer at the Office of Multicultural Affairs and one of the supervisors, my supervisor, Odawa, bless, love him. Um, he was a Native American student coordinator and he was just like, hey, have you ever thought about, because I was looking at grad schools and being like, oh, maybe I can do multicultural something, something, whatever. Yeah. Um, like, but I'm really tired. I don't want to do like culturally specific things right now because I'm really burnt out. And I was just like, how about something a little broader? And so he was like, have you ever thought about student affairs? And I was just like, what's that? I've never heard of that before. He's like, it's basically what I'm doing. Um, but you get to do that in a full-time capacity and you get to work with the institution. And I was like, one, I hate the institution because it sucks. Um, but whatever. Um, oh, side note story, if you want to know. One time I got brought into the office for um, a really concerning blog post and it was the multicultural office. Um, so I had a blog and I wrote about um, what did I write about? Oh, I wrote about why students don't like returning to students of color specifically returning to um, higher education after like a year of trauma is really, really difficult. And I like said something really concerning and then the police were notified. And then I got pulled into an office and they were like, we just want to make, I think it was like a, so I'm a creative writer. I'm a creative writer. I'm also a spoken word artist. And so mixing those two, like there's a lot of metaphors and like nice flowery language involved. Um, And like I said something at the end where of my thing was just like, I'm not, I won't be surprised if, if someone dies this year. Like it's, that's a real reality of being a student of color on this campus with so many white people here or with so much violence, whether institutional or individual um, being enacted against you. I'm not, I'm not surprised if someone dies. And so mm-hmm. they were like, it's really concerning. We just want to make sure you want, you're not going to shoot up the school. And I was like, what? Wait, or they like, said that? Or you're not going to kill yourself. And I was like, what? Oh. And so I was just like, dude, y'all need to calm the fuck down. I was like, there are so much, so many better things to be doing right now, but cool. If please want to monitor my blog, have at it. Cool. Mm. But it was just, that was wild. And so what a weird thing, but to my story. Mm. So I applied for student affairs and I heard about the UW lacrosse student affairs program, just from some people who had graduated. Um, And so I decided to apply there. I didn't apply anywhere else. And I was just like, I hope they accept me. And then I graduated. And so when I graduated, I commissioned as an officer in the National Guard. Um, and I also graduated with my degree. And it was cool. It was all in like one day, too. So that was really awesome. Wait, so he basically talked to you into doing grad school, I assume, or just like yeah. just student affairs? He talked, I don't think he talked me into anything. Like he was just like, have you ever thought about student affairs? And I like Googled it. And then the first one that popped up was the UW lacrosse one. And I did some research. I talked to some people who went to school there. And then I also knew someone who works there who would eventually end up being my supervisor. 
um, Amanda good enough. So during that time, you know, the story I talked about earlier about the Trump rally and the video, mm-hmm. um, she actually reached out. I had never met her before. She reached out. She, she works in lacrosse and she reached out to me as a student in Eau Claire and was like, hi, I've seen your video. I just want to reach out and like, see if you need any type of support at all. And I was just like, oh my God, who the fuck is this person? Um, and so she, Amanda is the most amazing person on this planet. Um, and so I was just like, I know this person and they have an assistantship, which is like when you go to grad school in order to like pay part of your tuition, you need a job or sometimes for the program, you need to have a job within the area that you're in. So her office was in a student affairs office. And so I, I like basically did the networking thing where I emailed her and it was like, I just applied to the program and I see you have an assistantship open. I just want to let you know, I might be coming. Yay. And then that's that. So you got, yeah. So she basically helped you get in then, right? Kind of. You just like, Um, I mean, is there, I don't know. I just, or I'm just really awesome. I mean, I think it's both, but so, so I graduated, the interviews were in February. So I went in February, I interviewed for um, at the time, they're now a different name, but like Campus Climate at EW Lacrosse. Um, and I was like, they are my number one choice. They like, I, I don't want to be anywhere else. This is where it is because I had someone like one, it's a woman of color who is my supervisor. And then their supervisor is also a woman of color. And then their supervisor is also a woman of color. And I was like, wow, I've never had this type of support before. And I was, I really, really needed that. I was just like, cool. Other offices like seem really great and they're doing good stuff, but I need this type of mentorship and this type of role. And so, um, I, and I was going to be working with peer education again. And I think I had a really rough time my first time around being an undergrad student and not being supported in peer education. And I just wanted to radicalize the shit out of the, um, this, the program that UW lacrosse had. And I was like, the peer education is my favorite thing in the world. And so, um, but yeah, I, I interviewed and they let me know the month after that, that I got in, which is really exciting. Um, and then I started that next fall. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, so you're saying like as an undergraduate student at, um, at EC, you didn't as well, you didn't have as much help as lacrosse did, correct? Um, I would say, so I think someone that I knew a long time ago said something like this, like lacrosse has a beautiful, amazing support system. Like they have so many cool, cool, like resources that Mm -hmm. UW-Eau Claire doesn't have. But what UW-Eau Claire does have is like students who like mobilize really, really, really well. And I'm not sure why that is. Like when I was at UW-Eau Claire, like we would mobilize immediately, but I mean, like we'd rally together, come to like. Uh, protests like really really fast and really well it's still like that today trust me no support i know um i don't know why it's just the energy on that campus but when it comes to uw lacrosse they don't have students who mobilize like that but they do have so many resources maybe that's why i'm not sure um and so that's like that's like the weird thing about it like i left a space where i was just like wow i feel really like refreshed and i feel really like activisty and then I went into a space also it might be because I was in grad school but I went into a space where I was just like I feel really supported here but also you should be angry about this and we should be protesting and then I like then people weren't and so it just felt really weird also never mind I'm not gonna say that I'll say it. we'll just say it offline um but okay. like 
UW Cross is completely different than UW Eau Claire when it comes to energy. That's like, there's some weird indigenous, like Native American cursing going on somewhere here to both of them. But yeah. Um, but yeah, that was like my grad school experience. And I can kind of talk about the military a little bit too, because that kind of like relates to my grad school experience too. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, I was thinking about joining the National Guard too, but I mean, so, because I remember you telling, <laughs> I remember you telling me that um, a lot of the National Guard or Army, they paid for your tuition, right? Or like they paid for a lot of stuff. Actually, I paid most of my undergrad degree with, um, with scholarships. And so I got, I got like a crap ton of scholarships. I don't know how, but, um, so the military really did not pay for anything, um, at all. I mean, it would have been nice, but I also was just like, also when I contracted, um, as an ROTC cadet, um, I got like, wait, 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 first off, why did you join? Okay, I joined because one, adventure, two, money. And so maybe money and then adventure. But I really wanted to travel. I wanted to have the ability to travel and you needed money to do that. And so I was like, dude, it's fine, cool, whatever. Um, and also I joined before all y'all could join so I could make sure that it was a right fit if y'all wanted to do it. And I am here to say, don't fucking do it, dude. It's, it's not, not a right fit. fit. All right. Do Keep not sell your soul. But also... I will never ever tell anyone to not do it. I will just give them my experience. Like I've had lots of people come to me and be like, hi, my brother's thinking of joining. Can you talk to him? I'll be like, yeah, cool, whatever. Um, or like, hey, I want to join. And I'll be like, okay, cool. I'll tell you the down and dirty and the really shitty things about it. Like I haven't had a free summer since 2014, okay? So that kind of sucks. Mm. Um, yeah, I joined because the adventure and the money. And for the most part, like it's giving me money. I'm in a decent place now, like a more decent place than I was like five, six years ago. Um, but it's also taken a lot out of me, like energy, time away from family. And I think that is like, as I'm getting older, becoming more valuable to me um, than money. And so, um, and then for the travel piece, like I, I went to Vietnam one year um, to do like a cadet um, like teaching program. I went to Ukraine. I'm not sure about the good or a bad thing. I was a deployment. Um, like I had the money to pay for a bunch of trips that I went on because I had the money to do it because of the military. And so like, that was nice. I'm not saying it's a crap ton of money, but it is like a, a good amount. Like I went to drill for a weekend and then I would get like $600 just out of like a weekend. And so, yeah. I mean, like, did you, I, cause I know you went to Ukraine. Did you go anywhere else? Wait, you went to Vietnam too, right? You said. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. And so, um, yeah, so I joined in 2014. I went to basic training that summer, the summer after that I was at a camp. And then the summer after that, probably another camp. Um, and then yeah, just a bunch of summers where I missed a bunch of stuff. And that was really hard. But yeah, I am a commissioned officer. And so I um, make a little bit more money than I would if I wasn't commissioned. Because um, in order to be a commissioned officer, you need to have a college degree. And so when I graduated from, with my degree, I got also the commission. And so um, being an officer is okay, it's decent. But um, yeah, I can talk about Ukraine a little bit too. Um, so I started my first year of grad school, unless you have a question. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, one question I have was like, what would you do as a commissioning officer? 
Yeah, so I can kind of talk about that too, yes. Um, as a commissioned officer, you have different responsibilities than if you were a non-commissioned officer, which is an NCO. Um, and so, so there's like, there's the people who plan the stuff and then there's people who do the stuff. Like I'm a planner, that's what I do. And so I'd be like, okay, here is what all, like here's the mission, here's what I need to do. Here's the things that are involved in this planning process. And then I create this product and then I give it to people and then they execute it. And that's what I do. And so um, when I commission, I commission as an AG officer, which is basically, I do paperwork. Like I do, I do planning for paperwork, which is something that I've always wanted to do. Um, like I initially entered as like a mechanic um, and I was like, I don't know if I want to do that job. Um, and I told my recruiter, I was like, I'd rather do like HR. And he's like, you don't want to do that. And I was like, well, here I am. I'm like, not, a not in mechanics, but um, that was, yeah, that's what I do as an officer. It's different for each um, like branch. So if you're like in like field artillery, you'll be making plans for like shooting tanks and stuff. Okay. Yeah. So uh, there's that. That's what I do. I do. HR paperwork. Wait, and so, so you got promoted basically. And then um, before that you were like the people who actually did this stuff then? Yes. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. So when I was in ROTC and before I, before I graduated, basically I was doing that and so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We can go into more of Ukraine now. Cause you, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, Ukraine was a trip. That's all I got to say. So it came up really suddenly it was, um, let's see what happened. I started my first year of grad school and my first year of grad school was really amazing. Actually. Um, I think I had five other Hmong people in my cohort and that was really cool. We had like 16 people and like five of them were Hmong and I was just like, wow, that's so cool. And so whenever we would talk about our experiences, I'd be like, wow, I really missed home or wow. I like, I, my parents do that too. Or my brothers are like this too. And so like that felt really, really good just to be able to relate to people. Also some wild ass stories. Okay. The first, the first week of grad school, um, I, so I talk very openly about like, I say like white people this and like people of color that. And so for some people, it leaves a bad taste in their mouth. Totally understand like generalizing is not cool and not okay regardless. But also I was like, mm, whatever. Um, and so I was just like, yeah, like, white people especially hold up white supremacy. And I was just like, people of color do it too, but also white people like are like, they don't even have to do anything and they like support white supremacy or something like that. Or like all white people benefit from white supremacy. And then the next week, this chick was like, you know what, Ka? Or she, no, she didn't say my name. She said, you know what? She like raised her hand and was like, you know what? I just, I don't understand what you're saying when you're saying like, <laughs> And you were at like a level five and I'm at like a level one and you need to come down to my level. And I was like, bitch, what? Um, like, kept going. And she was just like, you know, you, so she was going off on you. Yeah, no, she wasn't going off on me. She like was talking. Okay. So our, our chairs were like in a U shape. And so I was in the back over here and mm -hmm. she was in this corner and she was talking like straight over here. And I was like, dude, there's no one over there except the white people, but cool. Um, Wait, it was in a classroom. Yeah, it was in the classroom. In and the so, middle of class? Yeah, in the middle of class. Holy shit. I know. I was just like, what? Okay, so she kept going. She was just like, you know, you have like a lot of experience and some of us don't. And sometimes you just make us feel like blah, 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 blah. And I forgot what she talked about. I like zoned out, but I was just like, 
I'm talking about my experience as a person of color who's existed in higher education as both an undergrad and now a grad student. Um, and she just kept going about like, she kept saying you, but I knew she was talking about me, but also she wasn't just talking about me. When you say you to me, you're also saying you to the rest of the people of color in the class. And the thing about our class was, again, it was so cool. Like more than half of our class were people of color. Like I've never been in a space like that. And we all had really great conversations about white supremacy because that's what we were talking about. I always bring supremacy into things. And it was a class where we weren't doing anything anyway. So I, whatever. Um, and so she went off and the professor, terrible facilitator, whatever. Um, basically was like, well, we'll see you next week for class. And I was like, Fuck. I, was, I was like, can we talk about what happened just right now? And he was just like, yeah, we'll talk about it next week. And I was like, no, 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 no. And so a bunch of people of color in us, we went back to campus climate and we fucking bawled our eyes out. We were like, that wasn't a direct attack on all people of color in the class to shut the fuck up about their experiences. And so I emailed my professor for the next day. She was a boss ass bitch. Um, and I was just like, hi, this just happened in our class. Can we talk about it tomorrow? Um, and so she was like, yep, I have set aside the entire three hours, three fucking hours. Um, that's how long our class was to talk about this and what happened. And she was like, I will bring in some other people so we can have a better conversation about it too. And I was like, cool, whatever. I just need to debrief about this because it was fucking bullshit. Um, and so we came in the next day and this chick doesn't fucking show up. So fuck. I was like, you know so I recorded the conversation and I was just like, you know what? I'll fucking send it to her because she fucking needs it. But our class ended up having a really, really awesome conversation. Like what I really enjoy is that like when white people are like, I'm really scared to fuck up so I can be there and be like, it's okay. You're gonna fuck up. And I told her directly, I was just like, if you fuck up in this classroom, that is the best case scenario because you are going to go out there and work with students. And if you fuck up, then you will mess them up. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'd rather you mess up in this classroom. That way we can call each other in and call each other out um, rather than you fucking up some student's life because you're insensitive and you didn't know what you were saying or something like that, or you didn't know any better. Like, I don't That's think point. it's like a type of like shield anymore. I'm just like, it's not an excuse for me. I'm scary. Like I know I'm fucking scary and I can be scarier if you fucking want me to but I'm not, and this is me being tame. And they were like, okay, whatever. And then I think, but like, we had a really good conversation in that class. I was just like, I hope like you mess up in here. Like you should not be afraid to do that because I'm going to mess up too. And we're all here to help and support each other. Like I'm not in competition with you. I'm not cooler than you or anything like that. I just have things to say and I won't be afraid to say them. And you shouldn't either. Like we're supposed to disagree. We're not supposed to agree on everything. And we had like a good conversation. And then I emailed that motherfucker that night and I was just like you missed a really good conversation in class today I don't know why you're in class but it's okay it doesn't matter um what you said was really insensitive and it was really actually racist as fuck and here's a recording if you would like it and then I sent it to her and then she sent me a half-assed apology that was like I'm sorry that you felt offended and I was like okay this is not the conversation that we want to have and so I mean our cohort had a really good conversation and we were so much better because of it and then she like wasn't there and so like ultimately like because of that she like ended up leading the program and so I was just like dude whatever yeah. whatever I mean looking back that was a really bad like idea to like ostracize someone and take them away from the community but like at, like I'm thinking about it from a transformative justice kind of standpoint but like 
when you remove someone from a community, you can do a lot of harm in that too. And so I probably did a lot of harm that way, but also I didn't know any better and I was responding out of hurt and I may not have responded in the right way, but I was, I was just like, dude, like, you don't want to learn. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Um, I'm not scary. And I actually, I am scary. And uh, I'm like not competing with you, but that was my grad school story. That was a really wild story. Other wild stories too, about racist shit happening. Like, professors like catering to white people we were in a social justice class and my professor was catering to white people and i was like oh hey what do you mean by that like catering to them like just answering their questions and not yours no it's like like i say wild shit like i'm just like yeah fucking white people and then my professor would be like well like not all and like we should have i'm just like dude i don't know and then like excusing I don't know. It was just like a lot, a bunch of wild shit. Just like always making sure white people in the room did not feel uncomfortable. There you go. That's the thing. But you're supposed to feel uncomfortable. It's a social mm-hmm. justice class. You're going to feel uncomfortable if you work with students of color. Wild, isn't it? Um, and you're not a student of color. And so that was another thing too. And so, but I, I had my first year of grad school. Campus climate was amazing. Our program for peer educators were phenomenal like they changed my life like they made me such a better person because of it and I think we should get rid of this idea that like only people who are older than you can give you wisdom because I really think youth are able to do that too like Mm -hmm. schoolers college students they're really really like innovative and they can really think of great ideas and that's like what I felt I was just like I'm only like two years removed and I feel like I'm learning so much from these people I think that's awesome and so but that happened In March, I got a phone call that said, this is your notification of sourcing. You are going to Ukraine or some shit like that. I don't remember. Wait, so like the start of the pandemic, like in March or like- No, March, 2018. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. 2019? No, 20, no. I think it was 2019. Yeah. March, 2019. Oh, yeah. a phone call but basically i was being deployed and so i went to drill that wait wait, wait. how do they like so they just randomly picked your team or what no No. let me tell you about it so what ends up happening is there's a long list or a roster of individuals that typically so typically they deploy units they don't deploy individuals so my was supposed to be deployed and so there i was um they called me and they were like notification of sourcing that's what they call it it's a nos um, and they were like, you're being deployed. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Okay, cool. And they're like, this is not com- confirmed in any way, shape or form. You must talk to your chain of command. So I went to drill and they were like, yeah, you're going. And I was like, what the fuck? Okay, cool. So it was just like random out of the, out of the blue. It wasn't out of the blue. It's just, it's our turn to deploy every five years technically is your cycle of deploying. And that was wow. that we were deploying. Um, and so I like didn't tell anyone for a long time, but my coworkers knew they were like, did you get any information about like deployment? And I was just like, no. And so I didn't tell anyone for weeks. I like on the way home from Camp Douglas to freaking lacrosse, I just cried the entire time. I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. That was like really, really hard. And I held on to that for a long time. And so I talked to my therapist I think I told mom and dad and you guys first, honestly, because I was like, y'all, I'm fucking what? And then dad like freaked out because dad's fucking paranoid. Wait, why were you so scared? Because it's I, Ukraine. I One, I didn't want to leave 
grad school, I was just like, I came in with so many great people and I didn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. And then I have to learn how to navigate being with another cohort. And then three, I was being deployed. I fucking hate, uh, okay, I, I don't hate the military, okay? But I was just like, I'm not like very in cahoots with the military right now. And I don't want to be in an environment where I'm surrounded by a lot of military people. I just got a lot of trauma to work out there. Mm-hmm. And also code switching is really hard for me. So like the person that I am right here is very different than the person that I am when I'm in uniform. When my, when I'm in uniform, I'm like a cold ass bitch. I don't really talk. I'm really quiet. Um, I don't talk about critical race theory or about, or about white supremacy. I would because say, they don't give a shit, right? They will ostracize you if you talk about anything that's related to that, like in any way, shape or form. Oh. And so it's like, I don't talk about feminism. Like when I became a unit victim advocate, I was like, I'm really excited for this position. It's a victim advocate basically for sexual assault. Um, when I became that position, like they were like, why are you excited about it? And that is the attitude towards anything critical at all. And so I didn't talk about that. And that's really, really hard for me because that's like the core of my being. But also it's not safe for me to even do that because I have evaluations that are on the line. I have people that I can be ostracized from. And I was just like, I can't talk about that stuff. And so I didn't want to be in that space for 11 months while deployed and that ended up happening anyways. It's fine. Whatever. Um, and so I didn't tell anyone for the long time, the longest time. And then my therapist was like, I think you're doing this to protect yourself. And I was like, bitch, I am. And then she was like, don't you think people deserve to know too? That way they can grieve. And I was just like, Ugh. so I like cried for a long time. And then I was like, fine, I'll fucking tell them. Um, and so I told them and that was like really, really hard. And then, so you told us first then family. Yeah. I told you guys first. And then I told my friends, but I was just like, the reason why I didn't want to tell people is because they'd be like, Oh, this is the last meal we're going to share together. Or like, this is the last time I'm going to see you. And I hate that. Like, I hate it, hate it, hate it. Cause I, when I say bye, I just want to say bye. And I don't want to like do anything else after that. Okay. And so that was really, really hard. And yeah, I, that was my thing about about deployment it was i had to get school stuff i had already a lease for the next year i had to like cancel a bunch of stuff and that was difficult and so and then i was gone that summer too for training so i was gonna go to training for three months and then be back for like three weeks maybe and then i was going to deploy and that three weeks was really important because i needed to see you guys mostly Kusaw and chai but um like i needed time with people that i liked and so that was hard too. During that time, mom and dad decided to go to freaking Thailand. And I was just like, I'm not even out of I don't tra- remember that, but yeah. <laughs> I do. And I get a call and they're like, yeah, we're leaving. And I'm like, I don't leave for another week. What are you guys doing? And they're like, you need to watch the kids. We're just going to give money to pay me. <laughs> watch the kids. I'm like, what? Okay, cool. And so that was hard too. Because I was like, mom, because Dusa started freaking pre-K. Chai had to go to school. This was before the pandemic. So it was just mm. like, she was one. I think it was 2019. Yes, yeah, it was. It must have been. Yeah, it must have been. And Wait, so, so Ukraine wasn't during the pandemic? It was in the middle of it. It yeah. was in the middle. Okay, yeah, that's what yeah. I thought. Okay, so I left October 4, 2019. And that is when all hell broke loose. Mm. But yeah, I deployed to Ukraine. I was, so I deployed thinking I was like the, um, HR person in command, uh, or not the HR person in command. I thought I was like a 
we call them Joes, just like regular people who like kind of help the person who's in charge. No, I was in charge. I was not told this. They were like, where's the S1? That's like my role. Um, and I was just like, yeah, where is the S1? They're like, it's you. And I was like, Whoa. what the fuck? Wait, <laughs> so you were like the head of everyone at Ukraine? No, I wasn't. I was the head of um, my section, but I was like, oh. I'm in charge of a section. Someone but else. you didn't even know that? No, it's oh. some typically higher rank. It's like an 04. So I was an 01. That's like three ranks higher than me. And I was just like, huh. um, and so I was, I had never been in this position before. I had not gotten any training. The person that was, so typically an officer and a non-commissioned officer are paired together typically. And the non-commissioned officer, the person who does stuff, um, typically has a lot of experience. My person did not have any experience and I didn't have any experience. And then, so we just got shat on the entire time when we were in Ukraine because people were like, I don't believe you. And I was like, dude, I literally talked to the person who's done this for 20 years and you don't believe me? Cool, just go fucking talk to him then. So it was really like, that was the hardest part about Ukraine. It was, I was put in a position where I had a shit ton of responsibility, not a lot of like experience in it. And people were just like, yeah, go do, you can do it. And I was like, yeah. Like, yeah. And people didn't believe you that you were like a higher up. Yeah. I was just like, I might be like a second lieutenant and I might not know anything, but I do know that I've consulted with a lot of people and I have the authority in my position to make this decision. Like people just didn't give me the ability to even like the people didn't believe in me basically. And I think that really deteriorated my confidence. Like I'm a fucking confident ass bitch. Um, at least I was before the deployment and now it's taken a lot of therapy, um, to really, really talk, like talk through, like, how do I build my confidence again after being shat on for 11 months by people who just were really inconsiderate. Also people who are higher rank and they were like feeling also really powerless too, because they really didn't have anything to do. And they're like, Oh, I'll go bother this person who I have power over who I can control in some way, shape or form. It makes people feel better about themselves when they can mm -hmm. control someone else when they can't control what's being done to them that's like a trickling traumatic kind of leadership kind of thing but yeah that was my like my deployment was really it wasn't shitty I got to travel I it wasn't a regular deployment I was not being shot at there were no imminent threats other than Russia and hacking um like it was it was a decent deployment the Ukrainians are amazing and they're great and they're awesome. They also know how to party. Um, and like we, I had a great, like aside from like all the work stuff, I had a decent time. Like I would come you back. You ate a lot of food and stuff. Oh my God. Their food is decent. Um, you didn't I like it? A lot. They had a pho place. They had one pho place in town and every single Sunday. So Sundays were our day off. And so we could go into town and they would take a bus into town and I would just eat pho and then I'd like have a few drinks and then I'd go like eat at a ramen place. I would just eat all day. That's basically what I did. And then everyone else like went, I drank hookah, whatever. I was like, I don't, What's I don't know. hookah? It's like a type of smoking. It's like vaping. Basically. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I did. And so that was like my self-care day. You, typically you're not supposed to go by yourself but nobody wanted to go eat pho with me because they're all like so you're just by yourself no people of color on my deployment i mean we're from wisconsin so whatever um but like shitty deployment i mean were the people there big like muscular <laughs> in ukraine or like ukraine it's a third world country pain and so they like don't there's like a lot of poverty there um and so yeah. like they're not I mean, I don't know. Everyone's bigger than me because I'm short. And so, um, but I mean, 
Like it was, it was a good deployment. A lot of, when people have a lot of time, they spread a lot of rumors. So apparently I was a lesbian, which I'm not. Okay. I'm gay, uh, queer, bi, whatever, but I'm not lesbian. I do like men. Um, and I was sleeping with someone. I was sleeping with another person. I was sleeping with another person. I was sleeping with this girl. I was whatever. I was sleeping with everybody apparently. And also, so were everyone. So was everyone else. And so I was just like, dude, okay, cool, whatever. And so I was like, cool, whatever I do, I'm going to be painted as someone who's sleeping with someone. So I was like, dude, I'll just hang out with people regardless of what people say. And mm-hmm. just happy because I was just like, there's one thing I can control and that's people I can hang out with. And I was just like, I'm going to hang out with this person because they do yoga and I need to be really good at yoga or because they work out every day and I need to the motivation to work out. Or this person always goes to lunch and I need to start going to lunch instead of crying in my bed because I'm so overwhelmed with all my work. And so that was like that. Um, there were a lot of, I would say a lot of sexual harassment and sexual, like I don't even know if there's any verified sexual assault, but I'm sure it happened while we were there too. Um, and so that really pushed me. So let's see. December, October, November, December, January, February. Okay. February, I was overwhelmed. And that's when I went on pass. And that's basically when you get to go like anywhere you want. Um, and so I got to go to Europe and I went to a Halsey concert and I just needed like a breather. Wait, to- where in Europe? I went to Amsterdam, which is oh. an amazing, they have really good pho. Like I did not think there's so many Asian people there, really good pho so good like when I tasted that first bite of pho I like almost cried because I was like it's been almost a year without pho okay and spring rolls um wait but I thought you ate at Ukraine what uh, but like so after like in the middle of Ukraine you got to leave right yeah I got to leave I got to go to Amsterdam and so um which is on like on the like the eastern side like east, Ukraine and so I went to a Halsey concert, which I really wanted to see because I was just like, I need my girl to hook me up with some endorphins here and make me happy. And that was like at the very beginning of the pandemic. Like there were people on like trains and stuff like wearing masks. And I was just like, please don't jump me. Like, cause that was when like the height of like Asian hate was becoming a thing everywhere. And I was like, please don't do some stupid shit. And so I like went to the concert, came back and then I went back to work. That's ultimately what happened. And then the month after that, March, March 17th, 2020, 2020, yeah, that's when the world shut down. Um, I was on a bus to Prague um, of like with 30 other people, a 15 hour trip. And we had to turn around. We got there to Prague and they were like five, you have five hours until you need to get back on this bus. We're going back to Ukraine before they shut the borders. And if they shut the borders, we'd be stuck in Prague. And I was like, this is not a bad idea. I would not be mine stuck in Prague for- Why, because it's such a nice place? Because I did not want to go back to- Oh, you didn't want to go back, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so that happened. And and the moment that March 14th or 17th happened, that's when like the world basically ended for us in Ukraine. There were no more, um, we had a beer tent and it was basically like a tent and we got to hang out there play like happy sack and then like drink beer and that was shut down no more trips into um the city no more postal runs so I was in charge of postal runs like running to get people's mail and they were like yeah we can't do that anymore and I was like this is an essential task you have to do it by regulation and they were like we can only send two people and I was like it's 
eight hour trip and you send more than two people. And so that was like the shit show. Like everything shut down basically on. Wait, wait, wait. The postal thing was eight hours away? Yeah. You, we have to pick it up from an embassy. You can't. Oh, have, was like, the embassy Amazon's, cool? Sure. Oh, it's just a regular building? It's like a US building. Yeah. Oh. And also, if you got an Amazon package, it took three to four weeks to get there. So that sucked. Oh. Um, and so, yeah, everything shut down. And let me give you like a good visual of the city that we lived in. It's called CTC Yavrov. And it's like a one mile circle, okay? It's only one mile. All the buildings, all the stuff, like all the buildings are there, where you sleep, where you shit, where you eat, all that shit. One mile radius or like diameter. And then right outside the gate is like a running track. And that's it for like miles. So we were stuck there. We were putting- Wait, so you guys were basically in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, we were stuck in tents for 14 days while we were quarantined. But for us, because we're women and they hate women, they put us, they put all the women into this like small room meant for four people. There were seven people in there. So they put a bunk on each of the corners and was like, you stay in here and quarantine. And we were like, okay. And they were like, you can't leave. You can't, um, you can't do anything. We will drop food at your door, open the window, but you can't like breathe outside. Like it was like, you can't go for a run. So you can't work out. They were like, you're stuck in this room for 14 days. We almost killed each other. Let me just tell you. Um, and so like after the seven days, they were like, okay, you can go outside and get some fresh air to stay away from people always wearing a mask. And we're like, okay, cool. Oh my God. It was a shit show. And so that was really, really bad. Um, no one that I know got COVID. Uh, while we were there so i guess that's a good thing but i it was still like the same type of work environment where they were like yeah you still need to do work when you're in quarantine and stuff like that and i was like i don't have my laptop and they're like we'll drop it off at your door and i was like my room was literally across the hall too and i was like you can just put me in there with my room please just let me stay in my room and i had to have people drop stuff off and so it was it was hard. Um, the, I mean, the deployment wasn't all bad. It's just, there was so much shit that happened that I just did, I just wasn't ready for. And so during that time I got certified as a victim advocate. Um, I did my training like in my free time. I did not have any free time. It was just like 5 PM until 9 PM. I did my trainings. And then after that, I got certified as a victim advocate. So I could start, um, I couldn't start. I got, I got certified a lot later, but, um, I wanted to like, minimize the sexual harassment sexual assault yep. in the military and also like do better education on like how to support people and so yeah that was my deployment and then I came back really fucked up um went to therapy and less fucked up now but um it's been a really difficult transition um from being in the military to coming back here again trying to gain your confidence again like talking to people has been really difficult because I'm just like, what if they think like they don't want to talk about critical stuff? Because I wasn't able to talk about critical stuff for 11 months and I was just mm-hmm. conversations. And so that was hard. Um, but yeah, I, I finished my last year of grad school and it was really, really difficult because people are toxic. Yeah. Um, I, my one thing is like, once you get to the very end of your program, everyone's competing for the same jobs. You're not competing for the same jobs you are collaborating with others to get a job. And I think the hardest thing, I think you should probably take this into mind too as you start to graduate maybe, but maybe not. Um, Higher education and student affairs is a very, very um, competitive field. 
And so you're going to see people again that you've never, you've met before in your life. But the biggest thing you need to remember is that it's not a competition to be into, in a field that is toxic. Like my, I had a really good co, um, cohort member, yep. um, my C who was like the most amazing person ever, but I'm so glad I had her because at one point her and I were in the pool, uh, for, um, the same position. And I was like, I really hope you get it. Cause they would be so lucky to have you. And she was like, I hope you get it. Cause they'd be lucky to have you. And then we would have conversations about like how to make our presentation better or conversations about like what we would like to do if we were in this position. And it never felt like we were in a competition, but with the rest of my cohort, it was really, really difficult because I felt like we were always competing with each other. And I was like, I don't want to compete with you. I want you to get that job. I want you to get that job because you're great and you're amazing. And anyone's going to be lucky to have you. Um, and I don't, I don't approve, and I don't like this idea of like, you need to compete with everyone around you and everyone's competition. That's like yeah. the lesson that I took away from that. Year. That's capitalism. Yes, it's capitalism. <laughs> you are right. Uh, I taught you well, but yeah, so I, I applied for so many jobs and I just kept, um, like getting denied. And I was really, really like heartbroken. Cause I was just like, maybe I just suck at my job. But I also have imposter syndrome. Um, so it's, it's just like, I always feel like I'm never doing enough, but it's not true because I do a shit ton. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. Anxiety. Um, and so I was just like, maybe. So my ultimate plan was my second semester of my grad school. So 2021 of this year um, was when I was supposed to graduate. I mean, I did graduate, so whatever. Um, but I was just like, you know what? If I don't have any job offerings by the end of this year, I'm going to move back to a player and I'm just going to watch the saw and chai. Like, I think they need that like type of interaction. They also need someone there. I don't want mm-hmm. watching TV all day, every day. Yeah. Um, I want someone to be there for him and to like cultivate his childhood because he needs that. And he deserves that. Um, and mom and dad don't know how to do that because they never did it with any of us because that is me. Um, and so I was just like, maybe I fucked up when raising <laughs> Peng and Tudor and Lang, but I don't. No, you didn't. Look where I am. I'm on your fucking podcast. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I like, but the big thing is also like, I never asked to have children and I never asked to raise all of mom and dad's kids. Like, that's the biggest thing. It's shitty being a mom daughter. Let me just tell you. Um, but like, I never asked to be a mother figure to you or any of the our other brothers, even through saw and I. Like, and so that's like hard. Um, and something I have to grapple with all the time. Like, it's not my job to do it, but I do it because I'm a sister and I want to. Um, but also, it's because I have that caretaker mentality all the time. And so, there's that. Um, but I, I made a pact with myself. I was just like, if I don't have any job offerings by the end of this year, I was just like, I applied for like one last position. And I was just like, dude, I'm out. Like I, I looked at all the higher ed jobs and I was like, I, yeah, I'll apply for some of these. And then I looked at this job one I have right now. And I was like, sure, why not? It was like an easy application process. I was just like, I'm overqualified. Cool. I'll just give it to them and see what they say. And so I was just like, okay, cool. And then, so all the other jobs like didn't, call me back or if I did I did an interview and they were like yeah we're gonna go with other candidates cool yeah. awesome never um it's like it's an entry-level position but you need like 12 years of experience like okay, yeah you can't have that and I was just like dumb with higher education because I always felt like I was never good enough and I was just like but I am I'm good enough these people just don't just don't see me for who I am and so my supervisor they kept telling me they're like 
you need to get out of this field. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I will. And so I got this position or I got an interview for this position and then they offered it to me and I accepted it. And I was just like, this is a good position because when they interviewed me, they asked me if I was a feminist. Um, they were really receptive when I was talking about anti-racism. Um, and they like, they seemed like really fucking cool and they are really fucking cool. Um, and so it was like a good fit. Like I wanted to get out of higher education and I ended up doing it. And so it feels really like, I think this past few months has been really refreshing of just like moving out of lacrosse, although that's been really sad, but like having my place, like mm. being accessible when it comes to you guys or when it comes to Busan, then like, it's been really, really nice being able to do that and being able to cultivate like my life in back in Eau Claire and be able to do all the things I wanted to do, even though it's a little exhausting because Busan always wants to come over, but whatever. Um, but yeah, that's like my life. I mean, yeah, I mean, it was pretty interesting, wasn't it, Lizzie? I think it's really interesting and, and very inspiring. Like, um... yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially aspiring. But I mean, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. Um, it's been pretty long, but I mean, I'll, I'll be happy to have you again on another episode. Yeah. Like, definitely. And explain more. Yeah, more, 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 I, yeah. I, I would just say like the next episode, if you want to talk about being a Hmong woman in the community, that's something Lizzie and I can tag team on because yeah. yeah. sure she has to deal with you. And so, no. Yeah, she has to deal with me. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, did you want to plug anything in, Ka? Or? What do you mean? Like, did you want to plug in your social media or like, you know, where can we find you? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you don't want to plug anything in, you don't have to, but I mean. Yeah, well, you can like see my blog. Um, paying, I'll give you the link to it, but it's yep. um, activism.blogspot.com. I haven't written anything on it yet, but that's like my outlet. And I'm hoping like my one of my goals for next year is to really, really dive into it or once I really settle down. And so yep. that's for them. Um, other than that, I really don't add anyone on social media. And so I'm not a big social media person, even mm. The people I let into my circle are people that I'm close with. And so, um, and that's for a protective reason. It's a different yep. reason. So, yeah. All right. Thank sounds you. good. We'll have you on another episode for sure. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. If, um, if you guys enjoyed, um, hit that like, subscribe on the YouTubes, and then follow me on the Instagram, The Real Kazoo Kid, VP, VP Entertainment on the YouTubes. And yeah, I mean, thanks, Kai, again. So, We'll see you yeah, later. Thank you for having me. Bye. See, see ya. You.